Good morning, church family. Let's just give one more hand for the worship team. I, that, was, that was amazing. That song, I love that song so much. I almost had me running laps around the building. It was, whew, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, like Pastor Trailer said, my name is Jack Tyner. Uh, I grew up here. Uh, my dad is the worship pastor. My grandfather uh, serves here. So it has just been awesome to be uh, growing with you. I was raised here. I was discipled here. I was called to ministry here. And now I get to stand before you and uh, bring the word of the Lord to you. So thank you for the love that you've shown me and my family. It just means the absolute world to me. So thank you, church family. Thank you, pastor, uh, for being a generational pastor. Uh, Nick Talley in the first service and myself both grew up here. You uh, loved my family. You pastored my family. You pastored his family from grandfather to son to grandson. So I thank you so much for, for all that you've done for my family. Thank you for loving me and discipling me. So. With all that being said, uh, take your Bibles this morning and open to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 28 to 30 this morning. And I want to leave you with a question as you're turning there. How can we live lives of spiritual rest in a world that is full of spiritual unrest. How can we live lives of spiritual rest in a world that is full of spiritual unrest? We live in a restless and sinful world. I think just about everybody in here would agree with that, regardless of where you stand with the Lord today. We live in a restless and sinful world. People cry out and protest on the streets for a system that has failed them. Their hearts are in unrest. People feel the need to change their identity because of the brokenness of their past. Their hearts are in unrest. People hate the people who are placed in authority over them because they disagree with policies. Their hearts are in unrest. Elementary schools are no longer the safest place for a child to be because of the brokenness and the sinfulness of a few hurting people. Their hearts are in unrest. The world is in complete unrest. And there seems to be no hope of spiritual rest. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Dearly Father, God, we long for rest. God, we long for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promise that you made. Lord, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Lord, we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness today. Lord, we ask that you would fill us. God, speak to us today, Lord. Speak to me as I preach today, Lord. Speak to the hearts of the people in this room. Lord, you are good and your faithful love endures forever. It's in your name we pray, amen. So once again, let me ask you, how can we live lives of spiritual rest in a world that is full of spiritual unrest? There are four things in this text that we see concerning spiritual rest, and I want you to see the first one today. Jesus calls all restless hearts to come to him. 
He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So in this call, Jesus does a few things, right? He does two things in particular. He reconstructs societal norms, and he diagnoses the human heart with this statement. So in reconstructing societal norms, it's interesting to know who Jesus is calling in this passage. This is a crowd that's been following him for days and days that he's been preaching to over and over again. This is a diverse crowd. Tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, the righteous people and the sinners. This is a group that is everybody, right? So Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And in the days of Jesus, uh, the rabbis would choose for themselves apprentices among the very best of Hebrew school, which Hebrew school would basically be like Sunday school, just a little more intense, right? They would, you know, we memorize a few verses in Awanas, they memorize like the whole Old Testament, but just a little different. So the apprentice, after the rabbi would call uh, the apprentice to follow him, it would be like the highest honor among the uh, Jewish society. And the student would follow the rabbi very closely and learn from their teaching every single day. There's an old Hebrew blessing that they would use when a student would be chosen by a rabbi. They would say, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi, meaning walk so closely to him that the dust from his sandals kicks off and covers you, right? This is a huge honor, but only the best of the best were called. So when these people, who Jesus is speaking to, who are by no means the best of the best, who are just everyday, normal people, are called societal norms are broken down and reconstructed. The rabbis exclusively called the best of the best. They wouldn't even consider someone who wasn't a phenom. Yet Jesus calls tax collectors and sinners. Jesus calls the weary and the burdened. He calls those who are down and out. If you don't believe me, look through the Gospels and see who Jesus calls. His disciples consisted of a fisherman, a tax collector, a zealot, which if you don't know who the zealots were, they were this extremist uh, group that were basically ready for the Messiah to come so that they could overthrow the Roman Empire, right? So it was kind of a rough crowd. And the scriptures hint that Judas uh, Iscariot was an embezzler, and we know that he ultimately betrayed Christ. The Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 was an adulterous woman who went from man to man. Jesus calls paralytics, demon-possessed people, blind people, deaf people, and those who are unable to speak. And in this text, Jesus calls for the broken and weary people to follow him, to become his students. And the same call stands today. He does not care who you are. He does not care what you have done. He's looking for the weary and the burdened. Maybe you're here today and you're weary and burdened. Maybe you were beaten down by an addiction to that website that you know you should not go back to. Jesus is calling you to come to him and find rest. Maybe you're sitting here today with an addiction to alcohol that is ruining your life. Jesus calls you to come to him today and find rest. Maybe you are so beaten down by depression that you think about ending it all. Jesus calls for you to come to him today and find rest for your hurting soul. Maybe you are a part of the LGBTQ community and you 
thought that this new sexual orientation would please your desires, and yet you are found broken. Jesus calls you to come to him and find rest. Maybe you're a single mom, and you have been through so many painful experiences, and you are fearful of the future because of the pain in your past. Jesus calls for you to come to him and find rest. Come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. The societal norms don't matter. He's not looking for the very best of the best. He's looking for the weary and the burden to come to him. So not only in Jesus' call do we see that he uh, reconstructs societal norms, but he also diagnoses the human heart. Him calling us to come to him and find rest, hence that we are ourselves restless. The human heart is restless. We were created to be in fellowship with God, and sin stripped us of that. We are missing what we need to be at rest. This hunger for rest in our souls has made very many people really rich. The entertainment industry has completely catered to this idea that we want rest. If you have trouble getting a promotion in your work, flip on your TV and follow a sports team that has success year after year. (coughs) Alabama football. Do you feel restless because you can't seem to find love in this life? Turn your TV to the Hallmark Channel and watch uh, four movies of two people who fall in love after one goes away to be a businesswoman in New York or a businessman in New York. (laughs) Do you feel restless because your heart craves adventure? Flip on the TV to Survivor and watch the newest season. Do you feel the weight of life dragging you down and you need to pick me up? Scroll through TikTok for a few hours and just laugh your restlessness away. You see, none of these things in and of themselves are inherently wrong, right? I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. 2021, when we won the World Series, was probably the best year of my life, best day of my life, most likely. (laughs) And Hallmark movies, it's my guilty pleasure. My mom has three boys, so she had to instill in us some sort of like feminine streak. (laughs) You know, we'll, we'll be outside playing all day, and then we'll come inside, shower, get some hot chocolate, and you know, we'll you know, watch the Hallmark movies. (laughs) And if you know me or my family, you know that we are huge adventure people. We love to go out and seek adventure. So those survivor shows are very, very tempting to just binge through. And my roommate back in Mobile can tell you, we send each other funny videos all day and just laugh all the time. So none of these things are inherently wrong. They do become wrong, however, when we use those things to fill the restless void in our soul that only Christ can fulfill. You see, St. Augustine of Hippo, the great North African theologian, writes in his book, Confessions, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, speaking of God. You see, Jesus is the only one who can fulfill the restless state of our soul. Jesus is the only one who gives life to restless hearts. So my whole family, like, literally my whole family, like aunts, uncles, cousins, great aunts, uh, and my great uncle, we go to a beach house uh, during Christmas. And uh, during this break, we like to, you know, get away from everything and enjoy each other's company. We don't really get gifts for each other, we just hang out with one another, which is one of the best times of the year. But if you spend any time with us at this beach house, you're going to find that patience is not our best virtue. (laughs) It's not our strongest suit. This is especially put on display uh, when you see the giant puzzle that just kind of sits on the kitchen table for the whole week. Every year we get a puzzle, 
And, uh, you know, it's like a thousand pieces or whatever, and it just sits on the table. And it's kind of become somewhat of a staple to the family beach house experience. Each year, when we get close to the end of the puzzle, the lack of patience is on full display, <laughs> right? You're trying to fit pieces that kind of look like it goes there. You're trying to put it there. And then other pieces, you kind of, you know, you kind of have to, like, force in. I think every single one of us are guilty of that. The same thing is true with our restless hearts. Our hearts without Jesus are like that space in the puzzle. And there are some pieces that look like they go there. And they may do for a while until you need that piece somewhere else and that spot is still open. Or sometimes you, you try to pound the piece into place. But the truth is, the longer that that gap is open, the more restless you become. You see, Jesus is like the space in the puzzle. The longer he's not there, the more restless our hearts become. The more desperate we are to fill it with things of this world. You have a restless heart. And the good news today is that there's someone who can give you rest. And he says, come to him. This may be the most beautiful claim in the entire scriptures. That he sees, he diagnoses, and he knows your restless heart. And he wants you to come to him. So point two. We must let go of what we hold on to and take the yoke of Jesus. After Jesus makes the initial call to come to him, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, when we come to Jesus, our hearts and our minds are shaped to live the way that he lives. He calls us to live his lifestyle, to live after his ways. And if we are going to live under the yoke of Jesus, there's two things we have to recognize. First, if we are going to live for Jesus, we must be empty of ourselves. So, you know when you go to Publix and you spend about $200 on groceries or something like that, like you've got a lot of groceries, and you're trying to carry all 43 bags and that, you know, the package of toilet paper inside, right? And you, you cannot carry one more thing. If I stood at your front door and threw you a baseball, you would not be able to catch it because your hands are full. Now, if my friend Sam Harris, I don't know if he's here today, but he played baseball at UWF. If he threw the baseball at you, you'd be in trouble, you know, because he's got an arm. But my point is this. It's impossible to take on something new if you are still filled with the old. You are not going to be able to take on something new if you are preoccupied with the old. You're not going to be able to fill it with the Spirit if you are living your former life. When Jesus is approached by the rich young ruler later on in Matthew chapter 19, he asks Jesus what he must do to have eternal life. Jesus tells him, keep all the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, I have. He definitely lied, but he thinks that he has, right? And Jesus says, okay, great. Go and sell everything that you have and then come back to me and you can follow me. And the rich young ruler goes away sad because he has a lot and he can't let go of it. You see, the rich young ruler wanted the things that Jesus had to offer him without any sacrifice to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, famously writes in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, that when Christ calls a man, 
he bids him come and die. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's telling you that if you want to follow him, you have to surrender everything about yourself to him. You surrender everything that you've put your trust in to him. If you put your trust in your job, surrender your job to him. If you put your trust in your family, surrender your family to him. If you've uh, surrendered your heart to the things that fill your pleasurable desires, surrender those things to him as well. This doesn't mean stop going to work because you've surrendered your job to Jesus. It means that you approach your job differently because you no longer work for your own glorification but because you serve Jesus. You don't just give up on your family because you've surrendered to Jesus. You love your family better because that's what Jesus would do. And you no longer live with your own love but with the love of the Father. If we are going to come to Jesus, we must be empty of ourselves. Second, If we receive this call to come to him and uh, take his yoke upon us, we must not add anything to this call or take anything away from it. We must not add anything to this call or take anything away from it. Adding to the call of Jesus is legalism, and taking anything away from it is heresy of the worst kind. The call of Jesus is simple. Come to him and follow him. And there are a lot of people who preach that you can come to Jesus without actually dying to your desires. There are a lot of people who preach that you can come to Jesus and keep on living the way that you were living before. But this is simply not true. Total salvation requires total surrender. Total rest requires total surrender of your life. If we are going to take on the yoke of Jesus, then we have to take everything that he has to give, not adding anything to it and not taking anything away from it. You don't add any special rules or stipulations to it. You don't say, surrender your lives to Jesus and wear a suit and tie every Sunday and agree with us on the color of the carpet, right? But you also don't say, come to Jesus except for that one thing that he said, you know, here, we're we're not sure about that. You surrender to everything that Jesus has to give. This is our duty upon receiving the call of Jesus to find rest, to take his yoke upon us and live lives that are completely surrendered to him. Third, today, Jesus does not turn anyone away because he is gentle and humble in heart. Jesus goes on to say, after he's made a call for those who are weary and burdened to come to him, and after he has said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus' call to come to him comes directly from his nature. This is the only time in scripture that Jesus explicitly says what his heart is like. Now something that we don't like, but is very true, is that Jesus would be completely justified in saying that he is strong and mighty in heart because he's all-powerful God. And Jesus would be completely justified to say that I am condemning and judgmental in heart because he is perfect, so therefore he is the only one who can condemn and the only one who can judge. But that's not the word that Jesus chooses to use here. Jesus chooses to use gentle and humble. We see a theme in scripture 
Uh, it's this theme of the gentle and humble heart of Christ. We see it throughout the entire Bible. A lot of times we miss Jesus in the Old Testament, but you see his heart displayed over and over again, this gentle and humble heart for sinners. This theme is that, Jesus remind, or that God reminds sinful people of what it looks like to walk in disobedience, then points back to himself to show how good he truly is. In Exodus chapter 32 through 34, uh, we see this theme. Actually, I think it's probably the best we see this displayed. So in Exodus 32, Moses has just been given the Ten Commandments. He's just hiked down from Mount Sinai, which I'm sure was exhausting because it's a mountain. And he sees that Israel has made a golden calf and are offering sacrifices to it. Moses throws down the tablets in anger and destroys the calf. He melts the calf down and he puts the gold in the drinking water and the people have to drink it. Right, so he, he's angry, right? I would say that that's probably a pretty angry guy. So in Exodus 33, the Lord says that because of Israel's disobedience, he will not go with the people into the promised land. That's the consequence of their sin. They will not be in fellowship with God. Moses, at the end of chapter 33, begs and pleads God to stay with them. He says that if, if you're not going to go with us into the promised land, then we don't want to go. We want to stay here. We don't want to go where you are not. And then at the end of chapter 33 and in chapter 34, God responds with, I will go with you, and Israel shall enter my rest. And then, not only that, he doesn't just stop there. He reveals his glory to Moses the first time that the name Yahweh is proclaimed in the Old Testament. Do you see this theme? God looks at their sins, reminds them of the consequences of their sin, which is that they will no longer be in fellowship with him, but upon repentance, the Lord is gracious to forgive the people and points the people back to his goodness by revealing his glory to Moses. We see the same thing found in our Matthew passage. We're back to Matthew chapter 11 now. Now look with me at verse 20. Jesus says, uh, it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were, done, that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So this seems kind of out of place, considering the call that we get here. But what just happened is in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has sent his disciples into these cities, proclaiming the news, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the cities that welcomed this news and said, okay, like awesome, where is he? Jesus blesses. And the ones who say, no way, we don't believe you, Jesus curses, and this is the curse that is found here. So we see that Jesus rebukes the cities, but what is this rebuke followed by? A call to come to himself and a description of how good he truly is. Do you see the theme? It's the same theme that's in Exodus that's found in Matthew. Jesus points to the sins of the people. He tells them the penalty of this sin, which is that they will not be with him, and yet he calls for sinners to come to him and to find rest for their souls. And then he says, I am gentle 
and lowly in heart. Do you remember the parable Jesus gives of the prodigal son? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of a father with two sons. They are each set to receive an inheritance after the father dies. One son asks his father to give him his inheritance now. And so the father does what the son asks for. And the son goes and he lives a lavish, pleasurable lifestyle. Once the son runs out of money, he's left to work with pigs. I think the kids know this story. Like, that's pretty disgusting, right? He has to eat the pig slop, remember? Because he can't pay for food. So finally, he comes to his senses and he says, okay, I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm just going to ask to be a servant. Like, I don't even have to be a son. I just know that being a servant would be better than this. So as he's walking back towards his house, his father sees him and runs out to meet him. The son expects to be met with harsh words of judgment and wrath, but is met with a kiss and a hug from his father. The father not only takes him back into his home to be his son again, but he throws him a party, celebrating the return of his lost son. Church, this is the way that Jesus stands today. He calls you to come to him and find rest, but not only does he do that, he's standing here like this with his arms open wide. And it's all because of the gentle and humble heart for Christ, of Christ for sinners to come to him. Our last point today, as we start to conclude, Jesus' yoke doesn't weigh us down, but provides freedom for our souls. Let me say that one more time. Jesus' yoke doesn't weigh us down, but provides freedom for our souls. Jesus' finished final call here, his finishing touch to this call is for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of Jesus is easy and the burden of Jesus is light because we carry the finished work of the cross. We no longer have to be slaves to our restless hearts, but we live as children of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 say, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Guys, living lives that are subject to our restless hearts are a life of slavery. It's a life of slavery. We will never be able to satisfy our restless, sinful hearts. You may be sitting here today and you want rest for your soul, but you're fearful that following Jesus will just be one more thing that won't work. This is not the case. The yoke of Jesus is easy and the burden is light because you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because they were carried on the cross at Calvary. It doesn't add anything to your plate, but removes the very sins that weigh you down. 
You live for his desires and not your own. So your life is much less tiresome. The life that Jesus calls us to live is a life of rest and freedom because it is a life that is completely centered around him, the one who gives rest. The natural desire of our hearts leads us to spiritual unrest. So my question for you one last time today is this. How do we live lives of spiritual rest in a world of spiritual unrest? By coming to Jesus and surrendering and centering our lives around and to him. How do we live lives of spiritual rest in a world of spiritual unrest? By coming to Jesus and surrendering and centering our lives to and around him. Maybe you're here today and you've never known rest. You just keep trying things that can't satisfy you. You keep going back to that website. You keep changing your identity. You keep saying these things, doing these things, and nothing is working. I'm telling you that Jesus can provide rest for your souls. You aren't satisfied by these things anymore. I'm here to tell you that there is a Savior who can give your soul rest. And his name is Jesus. And his invitation to you today is come to me. Maybe you're here and you've grown up in the church. Maybe you're really good at putting on a facade. You're really good at faking it. But as soon as you leave, you keep going back to those sins that you do in secret and you are beaten down. Come to Jesus today and find rest. Truly come to him and find rest. Repent and accept the rest that is found in Jesus alone. And maybe you're here today and you're on fire for Jesus. You live for him 24-7, 365, and you love him so much. But maybe you've gotten a little discouraged. I think that there's an epidemic today, and I'm seeing it among my peers, I'm seeing it among older people that forget that spiritual activity does not equate to spiritual maturity. You forget that living for Jesus is not a burden. You don't have to do all these extra things. You don't have to keep taking on things. You just have to come to him and be obedient to his will. Come to Jesus today and find rest for your souls. Don't get so caught up in doing good works that you forget the reason for those good works. Jesus. Jesus is the reason we live and breathe. And it's by his name that we do what we do. I was going to prepare today a Palm Sunday sermon. A sermon talking about Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But my, the truth is, my soul has been on unrest. I've had a lot of major decisions that I've had to make. And I'm just beaten down and worn out. And the words of our Savior came to me again and again saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I'm telling you, that you can try to find rest in the other things. I've tried to find rest in the other things, but there is only one who can give rest, and his name is Jesus. And so today, this Palm Sunday, come to Jesus and find rest for your soul.